Well, good morning. Hopefully you all are doing well today. Um, as JC mentioned, my name is John, serve as one of the pastors here, and we are just so, so thankful um, that you've joined us today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series right now um, going through the Minor Prophets. Um, and the Minor Prophets are a collection of 12 um, different books of the Bible, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. And uh, when we say Minor Prophets, it's not because they are of any um, lesser value. They are just shorter in nature. And so they're referred to as um, the Minor Prophets. They're not as long as um, some of the other uh, prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. And so this has been, um, honestly, a, a really timely um, series for us as a church, really us as just a culture um, in general. What you see through a lot of these stories is it's um, these prophets that God is using to call people back, right? He's calling them to, to come back to the Lord, to turn back from their ways. And it's something that um, before we went into the series, I didn't really know kind of what we were going to get out of this. And it's just been something that has hopefully been so encouraging for us um, as a church, as people. Um, and it's been something that I think really we, we need the messages that we're receiving right now. We need to be called back in some ways. Um, we need to dig in into some things. And um, today, hopefully, is going to be no different. We are going to be um, looking at the book of Nahum. Nahum is uh, the book right after Micah, what we studied last week. So if you kind of had your um, page folded from Micah. You can just kind of turn over a page to the book of Nahum. It is only um, three chapters long, so not a long book. Um, but basically, what is going on here? Kind of want to give a little bit of a background of kind of what's happening here. Is the prophet Nahum is um, talking about and presenting um, towards the city of Nineveh. Now, if you were here several weeks ago when we went through the book of Jonah, you might be familiar with this city because um, Nineveh was the place that Jonah did not want to go to. God was wanting to use Jonah to speak um, truth to the, to the Ninevites and to tell them to turn back. They were a horrible people. They were horrible to um, the Israelites. They were not, um, not God-honoring. And so Jonah didn't even want to go to them because he, he didn't want to um, call them into repentance because he was afraid that God in his mercy mercy was actually going to forgive them. And he didn't want that because he's like, they don't deserve it. And so Jonah kind of um, ran from that call from the Lord, but ultimately finally did go to them. And he preaches um, to them and tells them to turn back from their ways. And we see in Jonah 3 that actually there was a repentance that took place. And this city kind of turned back to the Lord. And the book of Nahum is kind of um, talking about about 100 years later, from the book of Jonah. And so this is kind of what took place 100 years later. We learn that that repentance that took place in Nineveh, it didn't last very long. And so now um, they've gone on for a very, very long time, kind of turning back away from the Lord. And now Nahum is basically prophesying that destruction is about to happen. Basically, God is going to about to get his just, excuse me, I don't know what that was. God's about to get his justice and he's going to restore what needs to be right. And so this injustice that's been going on for so long, the fact that they have been turning away from the Lord, it's time to basically um, pull things back again. And Nahum's saying, hey, this is about to come. And he's prophesying uh, um, basically about what the Lord is going to do to basically make things right again. And so I want to um, go ahead and read the first um, couple verses of Nahum. And then we're going to pray and we're going to see kind of what the Lord has for us um, this morning. So the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1, says this. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. I want to read that verse one more time. Let's get this picture of how the Lord is being presented. 
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Now listen, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. Slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His ways is in the way, excuse me, his way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are thankful this morning for you, God, for the Father that you are. God, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have this morning to worship you freely. And God, this morning, I pray that you speak to us, God. I pray that the message that you placed on my heart, that God, it is the message that this body needs to hear. And each person in this room, God, that there is something that you have for them. And God, I pray that your spirit speaks it clearly to them. That God, we don't just go through the motions this morning, but God, we truly want to listen and hear from you and hear what it is that you desire to speak into us. Father, we love you so much. God, we're thankful for this opportunity. And we lift all this up in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So several years ago, I got pretty excited about something. And what I got excited about was McDonald's was bringing back their cinnamon roll. And I was really excited about this. I grew up eating this cinnamon roll and then they kind of took it away for a season. I was upset about that. But I saw an advertisement that the cinnamon roll was coming back. And I just got some joy in my heart that probably was more than it needed to be, but it's all right. Um, sometimes it's just the little small things that we get excited about. And so I journeyed on over to McDonald's. The drive-thru was kind of backed up a little bit. So I got out and kind of went inside. It didn't matter. I, didn't, I wasn't upset that I had to go inside because I'm excited about this cinnamon roll. I walk in McDonald's and I see right up there in the middle of the menu, they were advertising it front and center. And like McDonald's always does, the advertisement looks a good bit better than what the food actually looks like, right? But I didn't care, right? I didn't care because I was just excited about what I saw. The, the glaze was just coming off of this cinnamon roll. It was all twirled up and I was just excited about getting to that center. I could save that last center bite and it, oh, it's just so good, right? So I go on up to the cash register and it says right there up in the middle, 99 cents. I'm like, this is a bargain. This is, how can I pass this up? I love a good deal. I'm all about um, bargains. And so I go up to the um, register and I say, ma'am, I am here for one of those delicious cinnamon rolls. And she said, okay. And she kind of rings it up and it says $1.09 on the register. And I was like, hmm. I said, not, not a big deal. I said, ma'am, it's, it's uh, I saw up here on the menu that says 99 cents. And she looks back at the menu and she looks back on her computer and she says, yeah, well, it says $1.09 here. And I said, okay. See, all right. But up there, it says 99 cents. And so I'm just thinking, you know, customer's always right. You think we could work this out? And she again looks back at it and says, I don't know what to tell you. It says $1.09 here. And I said, okay, you're going to need to get your manager. All right, I didn't do that. But like I began to feel this fury inside of me because injustice was occurring, right? I'm upset about this because like you can't advertise one thing and then like go and do something else. That's, that's bait and switch. We don't like that. That's not how things work. And I get at this point in my life, I was doing probably well enough that I could probably swallow it the 10 cents, right? I was at a point that I could probably handle that, but it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the money. It was about the injustice that was taking place there. I'm still 
honestly a little frustrated because I had to pay a dollar a night. I never got my way because I kind of had to I, you do the Christian thing and like, you know, not cause a big scene, whatever. Um, but like, I was frustrated about it. the injustice that was taking place there. And I realized that like, obviously that's a funny story, but the reality is this, is that we all see injustices that are all around us, far more serious than a cinnamon roll costing a little bit more money, right? There are injustices that are going on all around us, especially now that break our hearts, that make us, when we look at it because of our love for other people, especially when we see people are having injustices that are occurring towards them, it breaks our hearts and we wanna make things right. We wanna see that things are restored. And many of you, there's probably things that, man, that stir you. They're like, I don't, I don't like that, that that's the way that it is. And it's almost like if you had the power, you would make this right. Yeah, you wanna restore this, you wanna make this right. And I want you to know something, God feels the same way about injustice. When he sees things that are not right, when he sees this city that is not pursuing him, that is going the opposite way, that ultimately, is hurting other individuals because that was what was going on there. They're causing pain and infliction to the people that are lesser than them. And this injustice is causing other people to, to lower that God wants to restore this. And that's, that's the God that we see that Nahum's talking about. And as I read through this book, I was trying to think about what is it that we need to unpack here? What is it about this that we need to unpack. And what I realize is I feel like this whole book, what, what Nahum's wanting them to understand is he's wanting them to humble themselves in light of God's justice, in light of what God is about to do through this, basically destroying this, this city, which seems like a bad thing, but when you recognize he's trying to make things right, ultimately he's just wanting people to be humbled. He's wanting them to see who he truly is. The first chapter of this book really kind of just unpacks the nature and character of God. And the next two chapters kind of unpack kind of how God goes and um, what's going to happen in this destruction, what's going to happen as God's making things right again. And I kind of was going to go through all of this book to try to give us an understanding of all of it. And when I got to verse three, I just couldn't get past it. I felt like verse three is kind of where we needed to sit all morning long. And this is what it says. I want to read it one more time. It says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And I thought about what about just that simple fact do we need to learn as this body? What, what do we need to implement because of the truth of that? And I think there's probably two groups of people in here. There's the first group, which is your Christ followers, your people that you know Jesus. That's the reason you're here today to worship and to open God's word. And the thing that I would challenge you with today is today, what needs to shift in your life? What needs to what does the Spirit need to say to you about the fact that God is slow to anger and he's great in power? What just about the knowledge of that and remembering that and being reminded of that, what does that need to do for you as a believer? If you're in this room and maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus, maybe you're kind of new to this whole church thing or this whole Jesus thing, you're still asking questions. Somebody drug you here, invited you here, and you're just trying to check things out. I'm so glad you're here. But the thing that I would challenge for you is that this this Jesus, this God that you're kind of a little interested in or you're a little curious about, if you understood the fact that, it, that God is slow to anger and great in power, what does that mean for you? What are the implications of, if this is actually true, if you come to belief in this, how does that change things for you in your life? What does that mean for you today to understand that this God, this creator is slow to anger and great in power? Maybe there's a third group in here. 
that you would say that you're a Christian, but you've been kind of going through the motions for a long time. And you've been going in and out of these doors and you've been hearing these messages, especially these messages on the minor prophets. And what your tendency is, is, man, that's a good message for so-and-so. Or I've, I've heard that before. Or, I'm, I'm already with the Lord. What do I have to come back to? And what's happened is you've become stale in your relationship with the Lord. You're a Christ follower, so you're not associating yourself with the people that don't know Jesus, but you're not necessarily being pricked by the word like you once were. And today, you need to wake up a little bit. Today, you need to be challenged. Today, you need to recognize, is this message for me? And yes, the message is for you. Here's the thing that we can look at with history. When we, when we hear from a prophet, especially when you see these prophets in the Old Testament, it's a good indicator that we should probably pay attention to what they're saying. Because what they're saying is God trying to speak something to his people. So this morning, the promise is, is, do we need to hear from this? Do we need to be moved by this? Yes, every single person in this room needs to be moved by this. So let's unpack what does it mean that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power? And how does that ultimately, and how should it ultimately lead us to humility? So I want to walk through some scripture talking about the Lord's patience, talking about just the, the character and the nature of God in light of his patience. And I'm going to go through some scriptures. We're going to be very scripture heavy today um, because I much rather talk about that than just talk about what I think. Um, so in Exodus chapter 34, you don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, this is God going to Moses, and Moses is getting ready to um, basically write some more things on some tablets. We've already got the um, the... Ten Commandments, but God, or God's coming to Moses again, and he's proclaiming something to Moses. And it says this in verse 6. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. As God is coming to Moses and saying, these are the things that I want you to write down about me. We see this incredible picture of who the Lord is, that he's compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger. From the very beginning, God's wanting to set the stage to, uh, to let people know who he is, who his character truly is. And what is the response that Moses has when he just sees the nature and the character of God displayed? This is his response in verse 8. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped just in light of understanding that God is slow to anger, forced Moses to bow down and worship. Does it do that for us? Does our understanding of that cause us to do the same? If it doesn't, we probably need to humble ourselves and recognize that maybe we're not looking at God in the right light. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, this is Paul speaking, a guy that used to put Christians to their death. He's saying, I'm the worst of sinners, but yet Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He's saying what God's doing in my life should be an example to others and ultimately lead to their repentance as well. This morning, I had a, a buddy of mine that I went to college with. Um, he had to kind of stop by here and pick up something for me um, before he headed back out of the town. He came here for the game. And 
um, <clears throat> I was showing them around the church and it was right when the, the band was rehearsing. And so I kind of walked them in here and Heather was up here singing. Heather's my um, sister-in-law. And so I was like, yeah, that's actually my, my brother's um, wife now. And he said, man, that's crazy. He said, I, I wasn't your brother really kind of struggling for a long time. And see, my, this, this friend of mine from college, he kind of knew um, what the description of my brother I told him back in college, which my brother for most of my life, he wasn't pursuing the Lord. If, if anything, he was going the exact opposite way. And here there's this guy that's learning about kind of the, the, the course of my brother's life over the past three or four years where he's, actually it's been longer than that. It's probably five or six years now that he's um, come to really dig into the Lord. And he actually has now accepted Christ. And ultimately several years ago felt this call to ministry. And I'm just telling him about this. And I kind of start laughing because I'm like, man, you wouldn't believe the story of how he ended up coming back to the Lord, just coming to the, to the Lord in general. And what I realized is that just as I was thinking about the patience that God had in my brother's life, because he was that person. And maybe you have that person that I'm like, he's too far gone. I just don't think that there's actually going to be hope for him. And yet God, in his patience and in his mercy, and I'm so thankful for his mercy that he said, I'm going to be patient with him. Because there was a day that he finally turned his life around and I got to share this story with him. And ultimately now his life gets to be an example to others about God's patience. And ultimately, hopefully that's going to be something that people look at and they see maybe if they were able to do that for him, they could do that for me. I'm reminded if you were able to do that for him, then that, you were able to do that for me as well in my sin because I wasn't any better than him. And it leads us back to worship. See, if we can't look at the mercy that God extends to other people and it doesn't stir something in our spirit, then we might need to be humbled a little bit in our view of God and his patience. Romans 2 Verse four says, or do you not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do we understand that God's patience, ultimately he's allowing this to happen, allowing things to happen in our lives, sin to happen in our lives, ultimately because he wants us to turn. And through Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross and that in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us, giving us the opportunity that we can actually turn back to the Lord. Like, do we understand that? Do we understand that biblical repentance is not about your emotions or your sin or your efforts or your resolve? It's about your surrender. Ultimately, it's about our humility before God. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. In a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When I was thinking about this story of Nahum, thinking about it, it's been a hundred years since Jonah had first gone to them. I was like, why did God wait so long and allow so much to take place? So much continued sin to take place. Why didn't he just make it right a hundred years prior, right? And it's his patience. He's continuing to be patient with these people in hopes that they're going to turn back to the Lord. This is why he's patient. It's not because he's not moved by that. It's not because he's not hurt by that. It's because of his incredible love for us. Second Peter continues, but says that, but the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief and that God's not just going to wait forever. There's going to come a moment where God's going to make things right. And our call as Christians is for us to use his patience as an effort and a way for us 
to continue to be found spotless and blameless, to be at peace with him, to, to make ourselves and align ourselves like Jesus? Are we allowing God's patience to do that for us? Is it motivating us to do that? The question is, is our desire to be made like Jesus by using the patience that's been extended to us, is that motivating us to become more like Jesus? If not, then maybe we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. This second part of verse three says that God is great in power. And I think about when, you, when we read verse two, it kind of gave a, a brief description of how powerful God really is. And he used some pretty strong language. He used words like jealous and avenging and vengeance and wrath. And I'm like, man, that's some strong descriptive words to use about God. Oftentimes, we don't kind of use those words with God kind of in our, our culture. It's not like we don't think about those things, but we don't really think about him to that, to that extent. And I'm like, what, what needs to be changed? What needs to be shifted in our understanding about God to maybe have a better understanding of who God truly is, to understand God's true power? I'd like everybody to turn with me to the book of Job. We're going to look at Job chapter 38. Um, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with Job, Job is a um, story in the Old Testament where basically the beginning of this chapter and Satan's kind of roaming the earth and God actually presents Job to Satan. He says, hey, why don't you consider this guy Job? Um, because he's a, he's a faithful follower of me. And Satan's like, well, the only reason he's doing that is because you've made his life good. Why would he not want to worship you? And so God basically goes to Satan and says, all right, fine, you know what? Take it all away. Take everything that's good in his life away. And that meant sickness, that meant his family was killed. That meant his literally body had boils all over it at, at one point. Like it's obviously a, a brief um, overview of what was going on. But basically for chapter after chapter after chapter, we see all that Job went through. And he continued to not bow down. He continued to worship the Lord. And even his friends were like, Job, what are you doing? Like, do you not see that God has given up on you, that he would allow all these things to take place? And almost got Job to the point where he began to question it and going, well, maybe I am missing something. He almost began to propose some questions to God of saying, God, well, you know what? What are you doing? And he began to question God's goodness. He began to question who God was. And this carries on and carries on all the way up towards the, almost the end of the book of Job in chapter 38. And the title of this says, The Lord Speaks. And I want to read, we're going to read a lot of scripture, but I, it's very, I'm going to be very intentional with why I feel like it's going to be important for us to read the amount of scripture that we're going to read. And I think, I hope it's going to make sense and maybe give us some context to the fact that God is great in power. So this is the Lord going to Job as Job is kind of questioning God. This is God's response to Job. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Right, this is God speaking out of a storm, kind of a boss move, respect it. It says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. Hold on, folks. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set, or who laid its courting stone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped in it 
it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this for you may come and no farther, here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their unpraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea and walked across in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to your dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which are reserved for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to the water, a land where no one lives, an inhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprouts with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives the birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do, you, do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the abyss wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clothes of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hungers of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when it is young? Cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. Chapter 39, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Pay attention to what's saying here. Listen to this. Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months, months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth young. Their labor pains are ended. The young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not run. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I give it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing while the wild ox consent to serve you. Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow of harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul it? in your grain and bring it to the threshing floor. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with a wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs, at horse and rider, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like locusts, sticking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with a flashing spear and lance. It frenzies that statement. It eats up the ground. It cannot still 
when the trumpet sounds, and at the blast of the trumpet it snorts, aha, it catches the scent of the battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry, does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on the cliff and stays there at night and rocky crag its stronghold. From there it looks for food, its eyes detect it from afar, its young ones feast on blood and where the slain are there, there it is. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. That is the same God that we serve. That's the great empower God. And what I think about is in those moments that we question God, in those moments, God, why are you allowing this to happen? What would it be like for us to present those requests to God and all of a sudden God to stand in front of us and to say all of that? Did, that? did that pierce you at all? Did that do something in you? Because hopefully your response and hearing all that, I realize it was a lot. But look at how Job responds. And I believe this should be our response. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Job humbled himself. Who am I in comparison to the Lord? Are we humbled by the fact that God is great in power. Does that make us step back a little bit and go, maybe it's not about me. Back in Nahum, in verse nine, I was reading and there was a scholar that translated this verse a little bit differently. My Bible says whatever they plot against the Lord, but this particular scholar was saying that he feels like it's more translated like, what do you think concerning the Lord? And what he felt like is he felt like that Nahum's goal was to correct their understanding about God or maybe just to challenge their culture's understanding of who God was. And I believe we see just in this verse three about this explanation of God being slow to anger and great in power was some of the things that maybe needed to be corrected. As Christians, we have some, some subcultures of who God is that we've created in our minds, the views that we've just kind of made up about God, that maybe those, those views need to be challenged a little bit this morning. So if that's to take place, if we were to be challenged in some of those things, the, the way that that takes place is through our own humbling. So what does it look like for us to be humbled before the Lord? And the first thing is that we need to realize we're sinners. And I realize that that might seem pretty simple, pretty basic, but we need to be reminded of that on a daily basis because we forget it as Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't, maybe you don't even realize, you don't realize that you are separated from the almighty God through your sin, through your disobedience, but that through Jesus, there's been made a way for you to have right relationship with God. What happens for us many times is we get so used to our sin that it doesn't really convict us anymore. It's kind of like, I think about um, our homes and how you don't really notice the smell of your home, right? You have to like have other people come to your house and say, hey, does my house smell? Because we don't really know. Like we get so used to it. Me and my wife, we went on vacation several weeks ago and we came back in and that's kind of the only time you get to smell your house because you've kind of, your body's adjusted and we kind of walked in and it actually smelled good. We're like, all right, it actually smells good, right? Because you're kind of worried and you know, I don't want my house to smell. But we get used to it. We get accustomed to it. That happens for us in, with our sin. We get so accustomed to it, so used to it, that doesn't really affect us anymore. And we need to be reminded that we're sinners. 
And if we're not reminded about that, then we need to humble ourselves and recognize that we are in need of a Savior. The second thing is we need to realize not just that we're sinners, but the weight of our sin. This wrath that we see in verse 2, when it says that the Lord is jealous and avenging, and he vents his wrath against his enemies, this, these strong descriptions, that's how God views our sin. It's that big. And when Jesus was on the cross, that's the version of God he was experiencing. A wrathful God that was looking at Jesus because all of sin from all of creation was put onto Jesus. And now God was looking at Jesus and seeing all of this in disgust. And this was what Jesus was experiencing for you and for me. And this became the most clear for me. I remember years ago when I went to go see The Passion of the Christ. Many of you probably saw that movie. And I remember the scene as he's being crucified. And it gets to the scene where those nails are being driven into his wrists and to his feet. And I was overwhelmed with this emotion because I'm seeing my sin is what's putting Jesus there. It became so real. And there was this song that I sang in youth group that just, it's kind of started going in, in on repeat. I kind of forgotten the song. I hadn't sung it in so long, but as I'm watching this, all I'm hearing in the back of my mind is amazing love. How can it be that you, my King would die for me? It blew me away. I'm, I'm just, I'm sobbing. I'm wrecked before the Lord because it's so visual. And I'm like, that's the way, that's what Jesus is experiencing. And I just, it, and it, it was like almost this glimpse of what I feel like heaven's going to be like because I'm just sitting and you finally see so clearly what Jesus did for you and you realize how far we are from the Lord. And it humbled me. And I'm like, who am I? God, who am I? And I'm, are you humbled by that? Do you realize how far you would be removed from God without Jesus? Do you realize how far we are from, from God without Jesus? The third thing is that we need to realize that our lack of understanding of the fact that we're sinners and just how great our sin is, what it does is it leads us to a life of selfishness and excuses. It allows us to do things like, oh, that's not a big deal, or oh, yeah, I know I need to get to that, or man, I just, yeah, I'm just not doing good. I need to do better. You're right, I need to do better. And we just kind of create this thing in us that it's not that big of a deal. Could we say that? Could we say, oh, I'm going to do better next time after hearing directly from the, low from, from the Lord after Job? Could we say, oh, yeah, my bad, God. I'm, I'll try better next week. No, like there would be something with us that there would be this humbling that would take place and go, oh, my gosh, what do I have to do to get this right again? A year ago, I stand up, stood up here on this stage and I kind of shared some things that my family was going through, some life situations. And one of the things that, because things were as crazy as they were, we were not able to kind of be in a connect group during that season. Just life was really, really difficult. A lot of personal things that were going on and that was kind of the best thing for us. And we just kind of needed people to pour into us and we were just kind of trying to make it. And I shared how, but the time had come where I needed to get plugged back in again, right? I needed, I kind of had taken the time away, but it was time for me to get plugged back in. And here we are a year later, I'm still not in a group. You know what needs to happen? I need to be humbled. I've messed up. I've made excuses. I've said, oh, I'm going to get to it. No, what, what, not because being in a connect group, that doesn't save me. That doesn't make me any better in God's eyes than if I wasn't in a group. But how can I say that I'm a faithful follower of Christ and not desire 
community to say, hey, we're going to push you. We're going to push you in your faith. The reason I don't want that is because I don't want to be pushed in my faith because I'm selfish, because it's all about me sometimes. And I need to humble myself and admit that. I did that at the first service and I had five connect group leaders say, hey, you can come into my group. I'm like, shoot, I shouldn't have ever said that, right? But here's the reality. I need to be humbled. Many of you, you need to be humbled and recognize, you know what, God, I've been making excuses. And you don't need to leave here today without making that right. You need to tell somebody. That's one of the reasons that I decided to let me just tell this to 400 people because I know now I can be held accountable in it because I'm a sinner. I'm selfish. I will go the other direction. Doesn't matter that I'm up here on this stage preaching. You think I'm any better than you? Heck no. Believe me, I'm not. I need help. I need Jesus, just like you need Jesus. I need people pouring into me. I need to humble myself. The fourth way that we need to humble ourselves is we need to recognize that God wants to use you in this whole plan. This plan of God's, this mission of God, he wants to use you and oftentimes we think about humility as we think about, oh, oh, shucks, that, you know, don't give me any credit. I just want to stay humble. Like, obviously, like, we don't want to be prideful, but humility with, with God should really look like I am overwhelmed at the fact that God would want to use me. I am so humbled by the fact that he would consider me worthy to be used by him. We should be humbled by the fact that he's putting us in situations to be used by him. Are we looking for those opportunities? When those opportunities present themselves, are we stepping into them? If we aren't, we might need to be humbled to say, you know what? Maybe I need to see that God wants to use me for a purpose. Every Saturday, my girls ask me, who's going to be in my room in Connection Kids? They want to know who their, their volunteer is going to be, their, their leader is going to be, because they form such strong relationships with these connectors. And so I'll kind of look it up. I'm like, oh, we got Miss Angie today, or you got Miss Rachel, or you got Mr. Jed, or you got Miss Bobby. And they just, they get so excited about it. And every time I share that with them, and I see their excitement. It reminds me of how thankful I am for those people that are, are over there sharing Jesus with my kids. Obviously, I take the responsibility pretty serious that I want, I want to teach my kids about Jesus. I want them to, to grow up knowing who Jesus is. But I recognize when I dedicated my kids at this church, I said, hey, I need y'all's help in that. When I dropped them off on Sunday, that's an example of saying, of y'all saying to me, we got your back, right? And because we know how important the salvation of your kids is, we're going to partner with you in that because we love them and we care for them. And I want to be used by God. And I recognize that I have something to offer because what I have to offer is Jesus because Jesus lives in me. The terrible thing is that it's tough for us to get people to serve over there because we hear things like, well, I don't have anything to offer, right? I can't do that. How could I do that? How dare you question what you could be used for. Because if Jesus is in you, what you're saying is, well, I guess Jesus isn't enough. The people that serve in there, you want to know why they have something to offer? It's because they have Jesus in them. And that's what they begin to pour in and to share with these kids. It's too important. The salvation of those kids is too important. And we get to be a part of it. God chooses to allow us to be a part of changing people's eternity. Do we recognize the how much humbling we should have of our lives that he would want to use you and he would want to use me for that. How gracious of him to do that for us. Last week we said that we don't want to be a spectator church. We don't want to just come in, watch, and leave again. And I realized that 
just the nature of a Sunday morning kind of feels that way, right? Because you usually kind of have one person up here talking and a bunch of people sitting. It kind of seems like it's just a, a watching thing. But we're never intended to stay in here, are we? We're intended to go back out again and to be connect group leaders and to be to serve in connection kids, to go share the gospel across town, to go plant churches in other places, to constantly be sent by God, to come in here, to be equipped and to go back out again, not to just to watch, but to recognize we were meant to be part of God's mission. Ask yourself, are you being sent? Are you stepping into the opportunities that God is presenting you? Yesterday, I was um, hanging out with my, my girls and um, my, I was trying to just get them not to fight. Um, it's really kind of just the goal of the day. And I've talked about my youngest daughter, Adeline, before. I kind of refer to her as a Sour Patch Kid because she's one of the sweetest. Um, girls can be extremely affectionate, but she can also be pretty sour too. Um, we can have moments where I'm just looking, we're just cuddling, looking at each other. She turns up and looks at me and says, get out of my face, right? That's kind of her nature a little bit. Um, and so yesterday I was asking Alexa to just tell jokes, just to, again, try to keep, um, keep the peace. And so I was doing that. And then I asked Alexa to say, Alexa, what does the name Adeline mean? And Alexa says, Adeline means noble and kind. And I looked at Adeline, I said, Adeline, are you kind? She goes, nope. Like she knows, right? But all, words have meanings. In the book, or Nahum, it means comfort. This is what the word Nahum means. It means comfort. What I was thinking about with that is this morning, to be honest, is a, a difficult message, isn't it, right? When you're hearing about humbling yourself, that's not always a joyful thing, right? My hope, though, is just like Nahum was hoping that this would bring comfort. I hope this brings comfort. I hope it brings comfort when we learn that Jesus is patient with you, that God is slow to anger with you. It should bring us comfort to know that God is in control, that he has this thing, that even when things are crazy, God's in control. That should bring us comfort. Should it humble us? Yes. Should it bring us comfort? Yes. So here's what I want us to do. Rachel's going to come out and what I feel like the Lord wants us to do is I think we need to respond in a way. I'm gonna, the, the prayer teams, they're going to be up front. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you recognize you don't know Jesus. And you recognize that God has been patient with you. Maybe today that's really kind of come alive for you. And you recognize the extreme patience that God has shown you. Maybe there's been other people in your life that you recognize something was happening with them. And you're like, well, if God can do something in your life, maybe he can do it in my life. And you, you need to talk to somebody about that. What we want you to do is we want you to unpack that with somebody. We want you to sit down with somebody and say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. I don't exactly know what to do with this, but I need somebody to help unpack this for me because you don't just need a message. You need people to walk with you and to help take those next steps in your faith. And you have the opportunity to come forward and tell that to somebody. Tell that to somebody that's gonna be so excited for you and what God's doing in your life. Some of you... You've been delaying the next step in your life. You need to be like me and get back into a group. Or maybe there's an opportunity for you to serve that you, you've been thinking, what do I have to offer? And today what you recognize is, oh yeah, Jesus, that's what I have to offer. And maybe I should just try because God would have the patience and the mercy to allow me to be a part of his plan. But the thing is, is you don't need to leave here with that. You need to tell that to somebody. Just like I told you all, hey, I need you to hold me accountable with this. You need to tell somebody, say, hey, I've been meaning to get in a group and I need some help doing that. I've been meaning to serve. What does that look like? I just need to read my Bible. Could we go get coffee this week and you, and we just, I don't know, read the Bible together? 
Can you, can you join me in that? And you're going to find other Christians up here that says, hey, yeah, let, let's do that together. Let's figure this thing out together. And you just need somebody to do that. Maybe you need to grab your spouse this morning and come forward and say, you know what? God has not been as important in our marriage, in our family as he needs to be. And we need to humble ourselves and recognize that things need to be made right. And you need to admit that. You need to admit where you have fallen short. Maybe you're that third person that you've been coming in and out of these doors for a long, long time. And it, things, you just don't hear it anymore. And today there's something that's waking you up. There's something that's saying, I can't do this any longer. And if I don't talk to somebody about it, I know I'm gonna go out the doors and do it all over again. And you need to be pricked. You need to be humbled. Because the truth is this. If we talk about and we truly unpack and we truly wrap our minds around God's patience and his power, if it does not lead us to this state, then you need to be humbled and I need to be humbled because there's no way that we can read this and our response any, be anything different than thank you for the father that you are. I have nothing else. And if you're sitting here and something's not stirring, humble yourself. I'm admitted at the first service where this past week, I sucked at being a husband and I was running late and, didn't, and made Natalie late for an appointment. And she got home and she kind of immediately got in the car and kind of got frustrated that she didn't like even say bye to me. And I started to get all worked up and I just pouted and got upset and I was just mad about it. Whose fault was it? It was mine. You know what I needed to do? I needed to humble myself and say, I'm wrong. I screwed up, not you, but I wanted to turn it around because I'm selfish. We need to be humble, church. I pray that that's what can take place this morning. So right now, Rachel's gonna sing just a couple, couple lines of this song. If you wanna come forward, I encourage you to come forward. If you wanna grab your spouse's hand, I encourage you to do that. If you need to be humbled, just, just be humbled. Gosh, God wants something for us. He wants it so bad, and I just, I wish I could communicate it better. I want you, I just wish you could see what God sees in you. Man, he wants to use you in powerful ways. He's great in power, and he's slow to anger. Let's worship him.